Welcome to the Converge Podcast, where we talk about having a Christian worldview in a non-Christian culture. My name's Steve. My name's Nate. And we are both pastors at Village Church, and we are here to see where doctrine and mission intersect. Again, welcome to the Converge Podcast. Hey, if you enjoy the podcast, do us a favor, subscribe to the podcast, go on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. Maybe leave a few sentences of a review as well. Maybe go over to YouTube, give us a like, and as always, hey, tell your friends. This podcast is specifically for the membership at Village Church, but as always, we're trying to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today, we're going to talk about a very timely issue. We are going to talk about the issue of politics. Now, Given the issue after election day, this may actually be our last podcast, depending on how things go. Uh, As the world seems intent that on November the 4th, everything will end no matter who gets elected. So if the end of the world happens then, it's been fun. It's been a pleasure. It's been it's been great. Uh, you know, we, we'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just not so sure about you guys. Uh, but now we're going to talk specifically about why political theology matters. And we've mentioned uh, political theology in a, in a couple podcasts uh, in yeah. the past, and and the worldview implications of how we view politics, why it's so important, and so especially right now, this is a relevant topic. We're about to head into. Actually, I mean, we're in the political mm-hmm. uh, election season. We're about to elect a new president, and um, I've never seen, at least in my lifetime, uh, more polarizing. Sure. Uh, not, I don't think the candidates are that polarizing. I think people are just that polarized, uh, whether it's because of where we are in history, whether it's because um, a lack of discipleship. Uh, but even within the church, there's a lot of turmoil going on, not so much, I think, in the pews. I think that given uh, the new era of how to become a celebrity pastor, that you actually don't even have to have a large church, you just have to have a large social media following, uh, that people are feeding off of blogs, they're feeding mm-hmm. off of articles by pastors that they don't even know, that they've never even met. And I think those guys have stoked a lot of flames where division is concerned in the church. Now, I'm not opposed to division per se. I think it, it's helpful in some yeah. ways because it shows the truth of what we mean with certain terms, what we mean with certain aspects of our political theology. But I'm going to ask you to kind of uh, kind of start this conversation uh, about yeah. political theology in the state of the church. Absolutely. And I think what we thought would be helpful with the election coming up, if we just kind of step back and say, let's let's think about this theologically. And I think that's where the church needs to be, first of all. But I think we haven't done a great job of defining that. So our goal here with this podcast, we're not going to be able to exhaustively discuss political theology, but we just want to raise the issue as a topic to think about. Yeah, we're, we're going we're to say a lot of things. We're going to pass over a lot of topics, yeah. mostly just to kind of stoke people or poke people rather into learning, into caring, Uh, because kind of as a church, we're in one of two places. If you're too neutral on the way that you teach theology, people think that you're a coward. People think that you're not in the ballgame. But also, if you are too active in politics as a pastor or even as a church, uh, people think that you you are a problem as well. And so we want to talk about why Quite honestly, neither of those options uh, are, are good options for yep, us. Yep. So uh, what is political theology? How do we define that? What do we mean by that term? First, you have to step back and just quickly consider what politics is. So here's the definition of politics, the activities associated with governing a country or area. So politics is unavoidable. And we see it throughout scripture. We need government. So we start with that understanding. And then political theology answers the question, how does scripture and a biblical worldview inform and direct the role of government in society? So political theology is the study of civil government. What's the role of government? Uh, What does good government look like? Where do we learn where we find good government? Our answer is going to be scripture. Um, And there are theological answers to these questions. Um, And at minimum, scripture has a lot of guardrails that that does limit. This is what government is for, and this is not the role of government. So political theology is just the study of understanding that. I think uh, you kind of alluded to this, but oftentimes – 
in the church, we get the question, why isn't your church more involved in politics? And the response that we would kind of want to get, and I want to get your your feedback on this, is we are from mm-hmm. a political theology perspective. The yeah. concern of the church is the theology of politics. Yeah, every election season, it doesn't matter whether it's Congress, doesn't matter whether it's governor, doesn't matter whether it's uh, president. Uh, we are asked, and I want to be specific, we are asked, hey, can we hand out voter guides? By many, many people. Oh. So we're not singling anybody no, out. We're not singling anybody out. You're, you might be listening to this thinking we're talking specifically about you. Uh, we are, but understand that it's more than you. Um, we're, we're asked to hand out voter guides, and those voter guides are always coming from a specific perspective. And we always say no. And so after that, the accusation tends to be, don't you guys know how important this election is? Don't you know how important politics is for for life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness and all all the American ideals? And what we want to say is we don't want to get to the conclusion before we get to the foundation. Foundations are always more important. You and I are very passionate about politics. There's no way to talk with us about for more than five minutes not and not see that. But also, you, I don't think you can talk to either one of us for more than five minutes and not understand where we, where we stand or yeah. where we land, where politics is concerned. But the key is I'm far more interested in how you get mm-hmm. to your vote right. than what your vote is. And I think voter guides and endorsing a specific candidate, it always fails from the pulpit or even yeah. from uh, putting something in a handout or whatever it is you have you, because you're trying to simply tell people what to think and what to do with no thought as to why. Yeah. How did we get there? And that's what I'm more interested in. And I think that is a far more powerful tool because I'm not interested yeah. in just one person voting a different way. I'm interested in an entire culture yeah. of understanding why beginning your worldview with foundation that Jesus is God gets you where we want you to go. It right. gets you where we think you could conclude, but it's also going to influence your life far more than that. Yeah. And so we, we want to be clear about what the role of the church is in politics. And there is a role, but it's what you just said. It's the worldview foundation behind the politics. And so a lot of what we want to do during this episode is talk about that and explain to folks how that gets us where we want to go. If you talk to any of us on a one-on-one basis about politics, um, we'll be happy to tell you probably who we're voting for and why. Like right. we won't, we're not shy about that. But we are concerned that um, the role of the church is not partisan politics in that regard. It is the underlying foundation. So that's where we want to make sure the church is landing. Right. Um, the other flip side of this too is uh, when we. Uh, don't put out voter guides, we can often also be accused of just being apolitical. And that's not true either for the reasons that we're going to talk about. It is not apolitical to focus on the theology of politics. So we want to make that clear too. And I also want to be clear, I I think it's ignorant and foolish to say that we don't talk about politics from from the pulpit. Right. Every single Sunday... Every sermon here at Village Church is political, and I would say Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew has been very political. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. We're going we're going through the Gospel according to Matthew as a church, uh, and and I love this conversation specifically because a few weeks ago we we uh, were halfway through Matthew chapter ten. We talked about the issue of being wise as serpents, innocent as doves, and that is always going to be the approach that we try to take is of trying to educate people how to think biblically is always going to have a cause and effect where politics is concerned. Yeah. So I want to talk very quickly about two ditches you can go in with politics. You've already addressed one. One ditch is just making politics in the church about this is who to vote for. And the issue with that is if all you're focusing on is this is who you should vote for, you can oftentimes be correct Mm -hmm. without explaining why you were correct. So perhaps you had good political theology behind that voter guide. And I actually would affirm that. I think many of those even voter guys that I see is informed in large part by what I would say is good political theology. However, my concern is those are often done um, by secular folks for secular reasons, and they don't have the same underlying biblical foundations. And the problem with that is without those underlying biblical foundations, you will eventually go astray. Yeah, and, and I think it's important for everybody to also understand that we in many senses 
are John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are outside of the culture, oftentimes, especially where politics is concerned. We are not called to to cozy up to politicians. We are not called yeah. to to be best friends with everybody. Rather, oftentimes, we are cultural critics. And so we're to be pejorative to all politicians. And if we always are just seen as always saying, okay, here's the guy. No right. matter what, you're in sin if you don't look at that guy, right. if you don't vote for this guy. That's not a prophetic role. And yeah. we have to protect the prophetic role of the church so that even when the people we support, and this is always going to happen in an imperfect kingdom yeah. as well, the people that we will promote are people also that we need to point at and say, no, you need to change or you yeah. need to repent. And we have to protect that as a church. It's very important that we are always explaining this is how scripture and a biblical worldview leads us to um, vote in this way and think about politics in this way, rather than simply saying we need to vote like this. Because uh, politics are going to change. The situation we have right now is not going to be the situation in the future. And if you're just always, this is my team no matter what, without um, an understanding of the biblical implications beneath that, you could find yourself supporting things you shouldn't be pretty quick. So we got to be careful about that. The flip side of this though, and this, I do want to get your thoughts on this. There is another ditch that is pretty prominent in the evangelical church, especially the last decade, the last two decades, which is to kind of be proud and vocal that we're apolitical, mm-hmm. that polit- even to, to give the sense that politics doesn't matter, that the church doesn't have a stance on politics, that there is nothing for scripture to inform politics on. And that's a ditch too. Yeah, it's, it's a terrible ditch <laughs> because it, it, it wrongly divides church and state yeah. And has an implication that because we are citizens of an eternal kingdom, and people will use the book of Philippians, and the book of Philippians, he says, you know, we are members of, of the kingdom of heaven, not members of the kingdom of the earth. You know, our citizenship is in heaven. And so what, what some people will do, they will wrongly say, okay, it's almost this Gnostic reality yeah. where we are separated out from the physical kingdom of this world. Therefore, uh, you know, and it's this whole it's this whole argument that you see right now, you know, well, we need to to be Democrats and we need to be Republicans and we need to have them all in our church and and even in our membership, even in our pastoral teams, you know, even in our leadership. Yeah. And that's a dangerous ditch because you are necessarily saying that there is no worldview implication right. where your party affiliation lies. Yeah. And that's wrong. Yeah. Um, you need to understand there's a lot of tension between the two. And more and more, one of the reasons that we're seeing a divide is because the implications of worldview are being yeah. exposed in both categories. Neither perfect, but yeah. I think you and I would both say one is clearly building a foundation of Jesus is not God. It's yeah. not even neutral on its view of, of yeah. the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. And so we have to understand that there is no apolitical stance that a Christian can take. Yeah. I mean, the left and right in this country are dividing. Any any secular science, social scientist will tell you this, mm-hmm. and there's lots of good data to show that. And so we should expect division to be increasing. The question is, do the Theological implications of Scripture um, show us one of these divides is closer to a biblical worldview than the other. Absolutely. Right now, the right is closer to a biblical worldview than the left. We're not denying that. Our concern is that we understand why and we don't get sucked into just a partisan politics. Yeah. And we also have to understand we catch flack for for maintaining that point of view. Uh, a lot of people will think that maybe we're saying that to appease, you know, certain right. people, and we're really not. It, it is a conviction that both of us have. But when you have such divide between worldviews and left and right, and I understand that many people are simply just saying the right is now Trump. That that is yeah, the that's not what definition of who the right is. No, we're talking about conservatism. At its root, um, and we're talking about progressivism right. at its root. You cannot nowadays, where worldview is concerned, be a political. Yeah. A progressive leftist necessarily does have to subscribe to the murder yeah. of babies, does have to subscribe uh, to the fact that gender dysphoria is a fruit of the spirit, even in this age. 
no matter how young that person is. It, it, it's a sin and it's wickedness no matter yeah. what the age. But understand now progressivism is actually labeling and saying if an eight-year-old is transgender, well, we need to celebrate that reality. No, that's child abuse. Yeah. Uh, that's just out and out child abuse. And so, and it goes beyond that, even into the economics of progressivism that is completely unbiblical and it is thievery. But we have to understand that there is no such thing as apolitical stances where worldview is concerned. The Christian worldview, a biblical worldview, necessarily, especially now, does land closer to one side than it does the other. Right, and we're not even saying that there are only two sides. You know, there are multiple ways to look at things, but we also have to understand a a realistic situation in our country. I I think, I think, I don't want to interrupt you. Yeah, go ahead. I think that's an important point to look at as well. I think a lot of pastors are also taking the cop out to go third party right now. <laughs> right. And I think that's also, that's a, that's a foolish thing to do because it's not that I don't think that we could ever get there. It's sure. just that we have to be honest about where we are right now. We yeah. are in a two-party system. Right. And Christians are in the United States. You can't compare first century Rome to America in 2020. We are invited to the table in a representative republic, and our voice is to be heard. And I think that it is foolish, and I think it is an attempt at being apolitical, pretending that it's not more biblical to land on one of two sides. There is no good third side right now. Yeah, we just have to be honest that theological implications are going to lead us in a direction and then be willing to talk about that. If we do try to... This is the concern, which at the end of the podcast, we're going to flesh this out more. But if we try to be apolitical, um, that leaves us and our kids open to non-biblical worldviews mm-hmm. coming in and, and taking over. So, we want to – we're going to talk about that because mm-hmm. I think that's important. Okay, m- moving forward. Um, our big – picture idea here is that political theology matters because people need to learn how to think about politics, not just what to think about politics. And that's not a cop-out. That's the only true long-term plan for discipleship and for the church. Yeah. Um, Being unclear about how to think about politics is often what has gotten us in this mess right now of Christians just accepting any ideology from the world that comes (laughs) along. And and any mandate from the government that comes along as well. Yeah. So, teaching a good political theology is going to necessarily exclude bad political choices. Uh, So, if we merely tell people how to vote and why, it doesn't take much to convince them to vote the wrong way. That's one yeah, thing. And I think I think we're we're especially seeing this in um millennials generation yeah. Z is that uh generation X uh which 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 I'm kind of the closest to generation X has a very apathetic view and a very cynical view yeah. of government and all things and baby boomers just said okay this this is the guy Vote for this guy yeah. or you're in sin. It was short-sighted. Generation, Generation X gave up on politics and said, okay, that might be the guy, but yeah. what do I care? There's no such thing as a world change. And so millennials have come in, and a lot of parents have aged into Winston Churchill always <laughs> said, if, you, you know, if, you, if you're conservative at 20, you have no heart. If you're a liberal at 40, you have no brain. Yep. And so a, a lot of parents <laughs> aged into very specific views where politics are concerned, and those parents now are just saying, okay, that's the guy. And so we're trying to return to that again. And what we're saying is, is that is not a long-term goal because oftentimes the next generation is going to revolt against you having the audacity and arrogance from their view to say, this guy, what's a better plan is to explain all of the issues from a Christian worldview. And when you have a fully formed Christian worldview, which is what you get during the college years, you form your worldview. Mm -hmm mainly between the ages of 18 and 22. That's also where parents are failing right now as well. Um, But when you help your child form a Christian worldview in all things, they will understand why you are voting the way that you are voting rather than just saying, hey, vote there. Yep. And when you start doing that, you're getting into political theology. So I thought it would be helpful real quickly because, again, we cannot explain all the intricacies of political theology in one podcast episode. But just to to read a few scriptures related to government and then just to talk through, uh, to help people understand what we're talking about, some big picture issues in political theology. So, let me read a, a couple here. Romans 13, 3 through 4. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. 
Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And one more very closely related is 1 Peter two thirteen through 14 Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Mm. Much more in scripture than these two passages, but these are two of the preeminent passages where um, the apostles are describing the role of government. And they have a very clear understanding of what the role of civil government is. It is to punish evil and to approve of good. And so that kind of helps us start to think about what is political theology. Here's some big picture political theology topics. I just want to race through these and get your your thoughts on some Mm -hmm. of them. One is the government does have a God-ordained role to play in the world. And from these verses, we see it's for our good. Um, It is to punish evil and to approve what is good. And then this is really key. And so I'd like your thoughts on this. It is different from the role of the family and the church. Right. And we have to understand, we have to be that clear, because what many people have done is they have taken the scriptures and they've proof texted. And that's always dangerous. They look at Romans 13 and they say, okay, that's what government is. The scriptures actually give us far more governments than just the national government. The scripture gives us the government of the um the government when we're talking about uh you know the United States government and any government in, in human history but the family is a form of government yeah. the church is a form of government and we have to understand that they are all god ordained and they all serve a specific role and they need to be compartmentalized so we need to understand yeah. that the government biblically speaking does not have final authority over the family the government does not and we need to be very clear on this because this is a very uh, big misconception that many people have on Romans 13 we should probably do a full episode on this <laughs> yeah. but the government does not have final authority over the church they are separate um even in the old testament uh, yeah. the way that god set up the government of israel the civil authority mm-hmm. was separate yep from the religious authority. The priest did not run the civil, and the king did not run the priesthood. And so we have to understand that for the history of God's people, and to understand Romans 13, you need to have a great view of God's law in the Old Testament, and most people don't. We have to get to a point where we understand in verse 4 when he says, he is God's servant for your good. There are vast implications to that. Right. Vast implications to that. And sometimes the church goes along with the civil authorities, but the church doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. The church in many things is just kind. So uh, Doug Wilson does a great job of pointing out that the fire marshal has authority when the church building is on fire. But if the church building is on fire, the fire marshal does not have to have authority over the church. The church does not have to give to anything that the government says. There is a kindness There's a mutual civility that we should seek Mm -hmm. in all things. But when it goes on to what actually goes on inside of the walls of the church, the government has absolutely no authority. And what we're seeing in our era is that many Christians, even in these lockdowns, they're wondering, how can we support churches that are opening up in states where the governor is saying, no, you're not allowed to? Well, that's because the governor is God's servant, and those churches are actually holding those governors accountable to Scripture because you have to, in your Romans 13 worldview, understand that the government, in verse 3, has Mm -hmm. to do what is good. Yeah. And when the government does something that is not good, and by that I mean usurp authority over church government, the church has the freedom to hold the government accountable when the government is doing an unjust activity. We, biblically, must rebel when they seek to overstep their authority where the church is concerned. Absolutely. And so which is also why in the United States one of the most brilliant things that we have is the separation of church and state. Separation of church and state is not about keeping the church out of politics. Separation of church and state is to keep the state out of the church. Yep. That's how it how it's written into the constitution. Right. Um so I think that that first big point, political theology, think about spheres of government. Think about what is the role of government, what is the role of family, what is the role of church. But then a lot of what you just brought up brings up to me the second big point of political mm-hmm. theology, I think. And that is where do we get our civic morality from? 
And so you touched on that a lot we because it from it, the church we don't get it from the government, right? If if the government is going to do what is good and, and punish evil, it's got to get morality from somewhere. And a lot of the problems we are facing right now is for some reason that honestly makes no logical sense. The church has ceded its moral authority to secularism, right? And and it's illogical. Um, all politics is moral. Mm-hmm. Every law that we create has a moral foundation. And where can we get our morality from? Yeah, morality, to be morality, must be rooted in objective uh, yeah. truth. No other place. And the only objective truth is in, ultimately, we must trace it back to the personhood of God. Right. But then, where does God give it to us? God gives it to us in Scripture. Yep. So it is the job of the church to use the Scripture to hold the government in account for everything that, go- that the government does. In many instances, and here's where people get very uncomfortable, because we we want civility, but the biggest mistake I see so many pastors and even denominational leaders making right now is that they are acting like civility is the ultimate moral virtue. Mm-hmm. Not in uncivil times. Yeah. In many instances, the church should be the thorn in the side of the government. In many instances, we are to annoy the government. We are to be calling them out. We are to expose their rampant immorality. And what you're seeing right now, and this is in many instances of celebrity pastors, celebrity denominational leaders, is that they want to nice everything with the government and pretend that everything's okay. And as long as we're super nice to them, they'll eventually become followers of Jesus Christ because the government has final say. That is very unbiblical. The church is, and you see this throughout the scriptures, that the church is to be pejorative where the government is concerned. Read the Old Testament. The priesthood and the prophets were always thorns in the sight of the king. Who was it that held David accountable for his sin? It was uh, was the priest. It was the prophet, rather, Samuel, uh, or Nathan. Uh, who is it in the New Testament that holds the king accountable for his sexual immorality? It's John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. It's the voice of one crying in the wilderness. These are people that were hated by the government because they were always seeking uh, to hold the government accountable. And we must recapture that as the people of God. This is not about getting invited to every tea party that you want to go to. This is about being wise as serpents, so you want them to to understand that you have an objective root of your morality, you have thought through your position, you are intelligent about everything that you have, you have a formed worldview, but innocent as doves, we do not play by their rules. We must oftentimes be seen as those people that represent the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and people that don't have that righteousness are always going to get very uncomfortable with that righteousness. And so we have to take that place back as the church of Jesus Christ. Tim Keller has two-thirds of a great uh, theology going on in his side, but his final third where he deals with how do we be winsome in a culture that is against us. He does really nothing more than ultimately lead us to a place of uh, synergizing with the culture so that they will like us. That's never been the role of the church in history. And every time it is, Alan Hirsch does a great job of pointing this out. Every time you see the church cozy up to a pagan world, it never ends well for the church. And as much as the right is accused of doing that, That is exactly what progressives in the church are that will say, this is the missional posture that Mm -hmm. we must take. That is exactly what they are doing. The same thing that Robert Jeffries is being accused of doing with Donald Trump, Russell Moore is doing with the left. And so it's a different activity, but the foundation of your activity is the same. You're just trying to get those in power to like you. Well, people liking you doesn't typically lead to repentance. Being well thought of and being liked are two completely different things. Yeah. It's the role of the church in developing a political theology to explain to the government what is the evil that should be punished and what is the good that should be approved. And the government is not rightly going to get that from anywhere but the church. Right. Um, we are uncomfortable with that because we have bought a lie of neutrality in secularism. 
and it's a lie. There is no neutrality. There's only one source of morality, and it doesn't matter that people aren't going to agree with us. Mm -hmm. Now, we should be joyful as we talk about this. We don't need to be angry as we advocate for God's morality, but we need to advocate it. And just the fact, because I often hear, well, they don't believe Scripture, so they're not going to agree with our morality. That's irrelevant to the well, conversation. It's, it's really irrelevant. Just a few days ago, I was reading um, in First Kings where Elijah was facing off against the prophets of Baal. And these were people with a completely, uh, you know, unbiblical yeah. worldview. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're believing false gods. And Elijah's mocking them. You know, they're crying right. <laughs> out to Baal to send fire down. Elijah looks at them and says, well, maybe he's asleep. Well, maybe he's relieving himself in the bathroom. <laughs> maybe if you just give him a, some more time. Elijah's not being uh, kind, or excuse me, he's not being nice yeah. in his winsomeness there. He's mocking them. It is the role of the church, and this is why we need to be wise as yeah. serpents. We need to know when the point comes where we mock the gods yeah. of secularism. And I'll tell a lot of people this right here. This is the time. Yeah. We need to mock the gods of secularism. It is good to point out that gender confusion is absurd. No, that people that don't absurd. know what their own gender is for are insane. It's, it's, we it, need it, to it, mock it yes. forever. Yeah, and, there, and there's a difference between dealing with one person right. who's I'm going, glad you're struggling this with up. an issue and dealing with it political policy and right. politics are concerned right when you begin to form political and this doesn't matter if it's the right or the left because they're both getting tempted into these directions yeah. right now but if you get to a place where you begin to reorganize your party platform to to make a a moral statement that uh, transgenderism is good it is holy yeah. and it is righteous it is the job of the right. church to mock that for the foolishness and the blasphemy yeah. that it actually yeah. is. And we need to, and I'm glad you brought that up because when you're dealing with an individual struggling with sin right in front of you, mm -hmm. that is completely different than dealing with governmental policy. And we need to have the common sense to know the difference between right. the two. And a lot of people don't. Yeah. Like you cannot, in every instance, keep yourself from hurting people's feelings. Yeah. Remember, you are dealing with a morality. You need a good Old Testament theology here. Yeah. The implications of this will resound for generations to come. Yeah. And it is the job of the church that when people begin to fall into blasphemous ideologies and philosophies, it's the job of the church to label them as such and right. to point out in, I would say, the most sarcastic and most biting terms possible, yeah the foolishness and the danger of going in those directions. And you might say, well, that's going to hurt somebody's feelings who's struggling with it. Absolutely, it's going to hurt their feelings, but it's going to hurt their feelings to the extent where they're going to have to think through what they're actually doing. Yeah. And that, on an individual basis, invites a conversation. I have no fear of someone saying, Steve, why would you say that about something I'm struggling with? And I would say, hey, Let's talk. I will tell you exactly why I said that about what yeah. you're going through right now. And I have no problem with that. But most people want to be so nice that they're afraid to tell anybody they're wrong. If you don't tell someone that they're wrong, they have yeah. no idea what they need to repent of. We have gotten ourselves in a problem where we are so concerned with hurting an individual's feelings that we have um, not taken up our responsibility to speak truth to society as a whole, which actually ends up hurting way more people. And so it's just foolish. We think we're, we're we think we're helping this one individual when we're hurting the masses, and that's bad math. Yeah, like we need to care about how we speak publicly Absolutely. in truth. All right, one last thing I want to hit on the oh, like what are the big picture topics of political theology that we need to be concerned about, and then we'll get to some implications for discipleship, and I think that'll be good too. Um, Last thing, the purpose of politics is to govern justly. And the reason why that is so important is because one thing that happens is Christians just don't know what the purpose of politics is. So they think the purpose of politics is to um, take care of everybody or the purpose of politics is to, to look good to the world. And they won't say these things, but functionally, that's what they reveal. The purpose yeah. of politics is to be nice to everyone. What Rick Warren did in the 80s with fog machines <laughs> and, you know, taking into consideration people's <laughs> yeah. preferences were church services. Are, are, are concerned 
many Christians are now doing with politics. Yeah. The politics of 2020, where a lot of Christian leaders are concerned, is nothing more than seeker-sensitive ministry. Yeah. So I'll just say a few things we don't have time to get into, but um, the purpose of politics is to govern justly. In order to do that, we have to be able to define justice biblically, and that is a whole topic that is very important right now we don't have time to get into. Um, justice often uh, does involve loving your neighbor, and once again— we have to be able to define biblically what it is to love your neighbor. It is not loving your neighbor to steal money from one person and give it to your neighbor. Right. And so that's just it's one not. example of many, many examples where when we fail to properly define biblically what it is to love our neighbor, we can very quickly find ourselves with a very bad political theology. Yes. Uh, that is that is the result of many failures in political theology to so not define those things. Another thing to keep into consideration when it comes to governing justly is that, and we see this in Scripture, there are trade-offs in a fallen world, which means often, and you brought this up towards the beginning of the podcast, often we are presented with um, two choices in a real world. And we know that in reality, we have a plethora of choices. But in a fallen real world, we have two choices, and there are trade-offs to be made to get us the most just government possible. Yeah. If we understand properly that the role of government is to govern justly, we can understand those trade-offs and not feel like um, somehow we are compromising our witness uh, right. simply because we participated in civil government. Which does bring me to my last little point. Politics is a civil matter, not a church matter. And just understanding those distinctions. If you get those things confused, you are very quickly uh, misunderstand what your role in politics is. Correct. For instance, I, my goal in discipling the nations, that is our mission as a church. That's right. Is to disciple the nations. My goal then is that because we disciple so many people that every politician that is elected is a committed evangelical churchman. Who, who loves his local church and is going to implement good policy um, in the government. That's our end goal. Mm -hmm. That's not a requirement for someone to be in civil government. It's a requirement for a pastor Correct. to be a believer, to be regenerate. Right. It is not a requirement for a civil servant. I want them to be, no. but it's not a requirement for them to fulfill their duties. Mm -hmm. And so we need to understand that difference and work for the best we can accomplish right now in this life. And I want to I do want to acknowledge there will be disagreements amongst Christians on what the best we can accomplish is. Right. But those disagreements will be far less if we come from the same starting points of good political theology. Okay. All right. The role of the church is to teach the fundamentals. And we don't have to spend a lot of time on this because we've already kind of talked around yeah, this a lot, yeah. but um in teaching all of scripture in a biblical worldview, uh, we're going to end up teaching about government. Uh, one, that's a quick point that I want to make here and get your feedback on is there is much more that we know from Scripture about the role of government than often I think the evangelical church pretends. The evangelical mm -hmm. church just tends to pretend, well, you know, it could be this, it could be that. We're just really not sure. And it's not fair. The, the, the Bible is abundantly clear where issues of yeah. politics are concerned, where issue of government is concerned. Now, some of the passages... Uh, that we go through, there is debate as sure. to what those passages are ultimately talking about. But understand that there, there is clarity in the scripture, and yeah. it is a lie to pretend otherwise. Yeah. It's a lie to pretend that the Bible doesn't have something to say that will lead you more left or right. We yeah. have to be honest. And when you try to play the other game, you're, you're just playing a fool's game. It's like Russian roulette. Right. You're ultimately going to have to bend to the knee, to the will of, of progressivism if you continue to to let that creep in. Yeah. And so one of the biggest things that we're trying to get across is one thing that scripture we believe is very clear about is that government, civil government in the world does have a limited role um, compared to the family and church. And right. that we can have disagreements on how to implement that limited role. But as soon as we start to disagree on whether the government should be limited to what scripture says it should be limited to, that's not avenues Christians should be going no, into. No, when we pretend that the government, well, you know, it's okay. They should have full say over everything, and it's okay. It's not no, okay. it's not okay. The government yeah. biblically is limited yeah. of what authority it can wield over people. And especially when we're given the opportunity, as we are in the United States, <laughs> right. to hold the government accountable to a great degree yeah. to those ideals of Scripture. Yeah. Remember, and people that act like a persecution is a virtue, 
First century Rome is not the biblical ideal. No. So the role that we have in society right now is closer to the biblical ideal than anything. Yeah. And it's kind of sickening to me, the people that want to pretend that it's not. <laughs> right. No, this is the gra- the best place we've ever been where yeah. history is concerned. Uh, this is a good place right. to be, to actually be able to influence society with the righteousness of the gospel. And we, as family government leaders and as church government leaders, yeah. we must take our place in 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 society to limit the role of government in those two areas. Absolutely. Good government is supposed to protect the freedom of the family and the church. That's what right. good government does. And so I, I observe that a lot of the disunity and arguments in the church actually happen because the church is not properly accepting that the government needs to be limited. So we're arguing over things the government shouldn't even be doing. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. We shouldn't even be arguing about this because the government shouldn't be involved. Right. If the government wasn't involved, we wouldn't be arguing about it. We'd be more free. And so, but, but in that same lens, understand that when we talk about that freedom, we're talking about that freedom as defined in Scripture. Right. And so the role of the church is also yes. to promote morality yes. in society. That Absolutely. is the role of the church, and it is the role of the church where civil government is concerned as well. Yep. So our whole point here is we, we need to teach the limits of civil government as political theology, not as partisan politics. So we're, we're coming at this from this is what scripture says. This is not what uh, partisanship in the American governmental system will lead you. Absolutely. And so I know this is something you care a lot about. The importance of teaching politics as a worldview for the sake of how our children in the next generation will, will come into the world and understand it. It's, it's crucial. I yeah. think that oh, – go ahead. It's just vital that people understand that some of this works its way out as people get older and they get wiser. But the, the older generation is always going to be concerned that the younger generation is ruining everything. <laughs> right. Like, like in the history right. of the world, always I mean, that's always been the concern. Uh, sometimes it's overstated, but, but I think the key that a lot of people in the older generation need to understand and need to accept is that where political theology, and I would even go further than that and say where the biblical worldview is concerned, right. a lot of the older generation simply failed. Yep. Uh, they did not take seriously the responsibility to teach a Christian worldview. They did not take take seriously the responsibility of parents to disciple their children. And so when your child's worldview for the largest percentage is formed by the government, where government education is concerned, you should not be surprised that they end up just saying yes to government in all things. And so the answer then is not a a voter's guide. Right. That's not going to fix 20 years of abdicating your rightful place in that person's life. It's not going to fix 20 years of neglect where biblical worldview is concerned. What is going to fix it, and sometimes you can't, but what is going to fix it is when you begin to teach worldview, when you just simply point to a candidate and say, do this. The younger generation wants to be belligerent. The younger generation wants to fight the powers that be. The younger generation thinks everybody older than them are foolish. So they're going to go against you. They're going to rebel. So what needs to happen is worldview education over everything. And this takes time. If I hand you a voter guide, if you don't like the guy that I want you to vote for, and the voter guide is always slanted one yeah, way or the right. other, then you're going to go against me. Yeah. But if I actually take the time to try to educate you on what it means to have a Christian worldview, yeah. then in the end, you're going to come out better. It's going to take longer. It's a harder process. But the answer is never just telling people what. It's telling people yeah. why. If the lessons that our children, and when I say that, I mean personally my children, but I also mean the children of the church. If the lesson that they're hearing is um, how they interact in the secular world and in politics has nothing to do with their theology and how they interact with church, if that's the lesson that they're hearing, then when you tell them, this is the person I think you should vote for, um, they're going to take that as a take it or leave it. And they're going to be right, right in the way that they've right. been taught. Yeah. And, yeah. and here's the concern, and this is what we really want this is what we believe personally and what we want our church to understand. Um, this is an issue we need to care about because we are living in a culture that is increasingly politicized, mm-hmm. where everything is political. And you'll, you'll hear that phrase, and it's not wrong. And it, it's a reality. We can 
be upset about it. We can buck against it. It's not going to change the reality of that. In a culture where everything is political, if um, our kids are developing because we failed to teach them a bad political theology, often in progressivism, but it could be a, a plethora of other things too, if they are developing a bad political theology because the whole culture is politicized, that is going to quickly lead to their um, theology in more important areas being compromised. We're very concerned about right. that. These things right. go hand in hand. If you have uh, a bad, there's a perfect example of this. If you have a political theology that does just accept um, just gender spectrum and that there is, that's part of politics. Oh, absolutely. That's going to quickly corrupt your anthropology, mm -hmm. your theology of men and women and their proper roles as, as God designed in creation. So these things impact each other. And we are going to see a whole generation of kids um, lose their proper theology, their doctrine of God, their Christiology, their doctrine of the church, because they accepted a political theology that was poor and because we were living in a political culture that corrupted the rest of their theology. Yeah, and and this is why it takes a while and why you have to start from a very young yeah. age. Political theology, theology trickles down. It's right. It's like trickle-down yes. economics, yes. but it's trickle-down theology. Your Christology informs your doctrine of God, which right. informs your ecclesiology, which, in, which informs your missiology, yep. which ultimately gets down to your political theology. Yes. But the failure started for many people in the coming generations with a flawed Christology. Yeah. Uh, Jesus is not Lord over every sector of life. Right. And when you don't begin with that foundation, you inevitably have yeah. to get to a place where you're denying Jesus as God. Yeah. And what, what we want... We want parents and ourselves and in our teaching to understand is it's it all matters. Like there are there are theologies that are more important than others. So you mm -hmm. just laid it out. There are greater theologies, the doctrine of God, Christology. These things matter more. Ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church. But if we fail to explain how those inform what is a lesser doctrine, our political theology, very quickly that failure will work its way back. And I think that is what what parents are missing because okay. I, I have observed. Um, in the culture at large, and even in our own church, a thought of, well, I wish that they, and, and I don't think they've had the words to, to form this, but right. I wish they had better political understanding, but that's not as important as the other stuff. And what we, need to under, symptom. what we need to understand is that it's a symptom. And you may be right in that I don't want our kids to be just partisan politicians. I don't want that for myself either. It's the political theology that matters that we need to get straight or in a in a politicized world, it's going to cause major downstream problems. Yeah, if I could give one just practical piece of advice where parents are concerned in passing is very quick. Stop treating the Bible as solely a devotional book. Mm -hmm. Start treating the Bible with your children as an academic text. Teach your children how to academically look at the scriptures, and they will see it as God's word more than when you just want inspiration, you go to it. And I would yeah. say there's an entire generation of people out there that look at the Bible and they just see chicken soup for the soul when I'm yeah. having a bad day. They do not see an academic text of how to understand God, yeah. how to understand yourself, and how to understand the world around you. Part of this topic falls under a bigger topic of understanding how Jesus is Lord of everything. We are talking about this in Matthew right now. His authority extends to every area, and we've got to understand that to, to properly live Christian lives in the world. Yeah. I want to spend five minutes before we okay. close. I know we've gone a little long. I want to talk about the issue of being a single issue. Book. Okay. We've caught some flack. I, I of course, uh, think it's a virtue uh, to be a single issue voter, but here's the deal. Everyone needs to be a single issue voter, but I also understand ultimately no one is a single issue voter. I'm not ultimately a single issue voter. Yeah. All right. And what I mean, everybody is a single issue voter. What I mean by that is, Everybody at some degree has an issue where if you go too far on that one issue, I'm not going to vote for you. Yeah. And it's not just about, you know, infanticide. It's not just about baby murder, which that is an issue that if you support the murder of babies, I won't vote for you. But also, if you told me that you're going to tax me 100 percent, I'm right. not going to vote for you either because that's stealing. And right. I think stealing is a moral evil. Uh, you know, if you advocate that, you know, uh, that the government should take my children and educate them and then return them when they're 18, 
I'm not going to vote for you. And actually, if you try to put that across, I'm probably going to flee the country. <laughs> right. All right. So there are certain issues that everyone's a single issue voter on. Yeah. And I don't know what it is for everybody else. I know what they are for me. Yeah. But also, there's never been a moment where there's been a pro-life candidate and he's pro-life. And it's just like everything else he stands for is just going to destroy yeah. society. And I'm like, let's vote for him. That yeah. candidate has never existed. Every time I vote, there's a plethora of issues I'm taking into consideration. Yeah. And no one is ultimately a single issue voter. Right. I mean, there is almost always a degree of choice. Mm -hmm. And so there are often issues that are so severe, like abortion, that if there is a viable alternative, that is going to turn me into a single issue voter, right? Mm -hmm. Practically speaking. But at the same time, there are so many other issues that were never single issue voters. And I I do want to encourage Christians that if, if we're going to think about single issue voting, you know, you laid it out perfectly, but here is the single issue voting we as Christians should consider ourselves. Um, this is my single issue when I think about voting. How do I best love my neighbor by promoting good government as defined by its proper role in scripture. Absolutely. Now I got to do some work in figuring that out. I'm yeah. going to have to learn what good government is. I'm going to have to learn the proper role of scripture. And as we alluded to, I'm going to have to learn what it is to love my neighbor, which yeah. always points them to Jesus always. Um, so that's my single issue, but then it's going to be, there's going to be work to figuring out how do I translate that single issue oh, yeah. into what the best choice is. But one Big thing right now, and this is especially true if you're on Twitter, no one is being honest. Everybody, you know, we saw some stuff this morning where everybody's just drawing caricatures of everyone to scare everyone else. Uh, and, you know, calling specific policies on specific issues hateful and, you know, racist and all these things. That's unhelpful yeah. because ultimately it's not true. Yeah. Well, we've done all I we can, I think, I think, for one all, episode. All we've got time for. Um, November 3rd's coming. It's coming. Our, our goal, and <laughs> it's coming. I hope this is not our last episode. Our goal is that we would have a church that takes seriously um, its responsibility to live in the world, always proclaiming the goodness of Christ and God's authority in the world and his morality, even in the civil sphere. Yeah. And we're not going to hand out voter guides. Uh, stop sending the emails. Uh, stop calling. Uh, stop asking for meetings. Uh, I've <laughs> thought about this more than you have. But uh, we but, are committed to yeah. having a church oh, that is thoughtfully political. Absolutely. Um, every single sermon I have ever preached has been a political sermon. It's been a political statement. I think that's a good place to end it. And I approve this <laughs> message. Thanks for joining us for the Converge podcast. As always, our goal is to help you have a Christian worldview in a non-Christian culture. Uh, join us next time, if there is a next time. We'll see.